0: podcast series Irish by the grace of God and here's your host Tony Gorman. great news everybody Irish by the grace of God have now got a badly needed sponsor get are an Irish company that specialize in rental accommodation on a Monday to Friday basis And homeowners can rent out a room in their home for part of the week and still avail of the government's rent a room scheme and earn up to 14,000 per annum tax free. That's 14 grand. That's a serious incentive. They also have a presence in the UK with getdigs.co.uk. And there, homeowners can earn up to £7,500 sterling per annum tax free for renting out a room. And now they're also launching in the USA with a website called fivesleeps.com. That's the number five followed by sleeps.com, fivesleeps.com. So check out the websites for more details and uh, make contact with them. Welcome, everybody, to this um, episode of Irish by the grace of God. Uh, I'm glad you could join us. Um, Today, I have a very interesting man from Chicago called Paddy Savage also known as coach uh, to his friends Uh, and we can get into that in a minute Um, so I guess this interview is slightly off our T's and C's for Irish by the grace of God in that Paddy is wasn't born in Ireland but he's steeped in the Irish tradition uh, in Chicago and we can really dig into that in a few minutes so Patty, you're very welcome, and thanks a million for joining us. I really appreciate you giving us the time. Thank you. Thank you. So um, the first thing two Irishmen uh, talk about who don't really know a huge amount about each other is the
1: weather. So what's the weather in Chicago like? (laughs) Well, the weather, we're actually having a warm day today, uh, which is unusual. It's going to get up to 55 degrees in our temperatures, which would be maybe... Fifteen in years. Wow! And so it, it's pretty warm. We had a, but we're, then we're going to get uh, tomorrow. It's starting to get cold near freezing, and then next week we'll have temperatures just about at freezing. Wow! But we've had a we've had a pretty warm um, weather so far. I can turn my computer here. Here's, here's the look outside my window. Oh, lovely! Yeah. So that's that's Lake Michigan out there. Wow! And over on the side there with that dome. That's our museum campus with our three museums. And then over this way, where you see the two sticking up, that's Navy Pier, which used to be, during World War II, a big place for training uh, sailors. Fascinating,
0: fascinating. So you're right beside the sea as well, Paddy.
1: Yes. And Soldier Field, where where the Irish defeated the All Blacks, in rugby a number of years ago yeah is further down from us maybe that's about a mile and a quarter from us i'm just after losing your your yes again. Perfect. okay there yeah perfect there yeah. so yeah that's
0: interesting um yeah here it's it's unusually warm for this time of year as well it's probably about maybe 10 degrees at the moment uh and apologies, I have—I've got the flu. I was at at Munster uh, Connacht rugby match in Toome and Park there the weekend with a friend of yours, and it was bitter. And I think I, I picked up the flu or something like that. So look, we'll we'll kick off with the interview, Paddy, and uh, maybe discuss your your uh, long connection and history with Ireland. And uh, t- you might tell me the story of the emigration story of I know you're your, your grandparents were the first to come over.
1: Right. My four grandparents uh, all came over in the early 1900s. Uh, my grandfather, Henry Savage, uh, came to Chicago with his best friend, John McGrain. And uh, they first went to Australia. we uh, were there about six, eight months. We're not sure why they went to Australia, why they didn't stay very long. Uh, but they came back to Swords, the town of Swords, where they were both from. And got jobs and emigrated here. And my uncle, who later became my uncle, John McGrain, worked as a bus driver. And my grandfather worked uh, for a company that took big luggages off the trains. You know, Chicago was the train capital of the world. And just like when you go to an airport now and your bags are transferred from one airline to another airline, they did the same thing with the trains, except the train stations were in different parts of Chicago. So he would uh, load the bags onto a big truck and then drive to another train station and drop the bags off. Wow. And then my grandfather, uh, my grandmother, who was a McGrain, she was a Christine McGrain, she was John McGrain's sister, came here later and they ended up marrying. And then on the other side of my family, my grandfather, James Kearney, was from a place called Cluna, just outside Westport. Um, Beautiful area, lived up on the mountain near Crowpatrick. Great site, but of course, no jobs. Yeah. And then he came over here and enlisted in the army. My grandmother, who was a Loch Nan from a town called Fecal in County Clare, was first studying to be a nun. But dropped out, and of course, at that time, if you dropped out of the nunnery, as I call it, you couldn't go back home. So she got the money from her older sister and came to New York, where she met, where she, she was an Army nurse. And my grandfather enlisted in the Army, World War I, and they met there and then got married and settled in Queens, New York. Okay. And
0: uh, <clears throat> so... One of your grandparents, why Chicago? Was there any particular
1: reason Chicago? I don't know. You know, we have a big Irish population in Chicago. Yeah. But at that time, he had a sister living here. And I think maybe that's why he came. But okay. he also had cousins in New York. And, uh, you know, I, I never, I, when I was young, I never thought to ask them, why did you pick Chicago? Yeah, yeah. And as I started doing my family tree, I always had that question you know, why Chicago? And I have no clue why they picked Chicago.
0: So in terms of Irish community, uh, what's Chicago like? What was it like? Did you were you embedded or
1: steeped in the Irish community growing up? Um, Well, I grew up on the west side of Chicago, which was a very Irish neighborhood. And our church was St. Mel, which at one time was the largest Catholic parish in the United States. And, um, we always had cousins coming to visit us, cousins coming to stay with us, but I really never knew how they were related to us. I just knew they were from Ireland. Yeah. And, um, you know, most of my parents' friends were either Irish, Italian, or German. And, um, but St. Mel was a big Irish neighborhood. And of course, at that time, you know, if you're Irish, you went to Catholic school and, um, I remember when I graduated from eighth grade, uh, there were 184 students in our class, and we were divided into three classrooms with about 60 or 61 kids in each class. Wow! But by nuns, and um, you know everything was good because there was great. You know, you did whatever the nuns told you. There's a there's an old saying here in Chicago. Maybe it's in other places too. Is you don't scare me. I was taught by nuns. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's a bit like uh, growing up. I went to CBS Christian Brothers School in, uh, in Limerick for a while. And I think the same applies there. It, it was pretty strict. You didn't step out of line. And if you did step out of line, you didn't do it again.
1: <laughs> That's true. And, that, and then the St. Mel High School was an all boys school. And that was taught by the De La Salle Christian Brothers. Okay. So I went from the Sisters of Providence to the Irish Christian Brothers and then on to DePaul, which was by the Vincentian priests.
0: And, um, Patty, was was it was it an integrated school, um, not just male, female, but was there was it all Irish or would it have been Irish no, and
1: Italian? It would have been everything, everything okay. from the neighborhood. I, okay. I would say that St. Mel was mostly Irish, but there were a lot of Italians in our neighborhood, a lot of Germans and those were the three big nationalities and did
0: you did you mix or was there cliques
1: um i i think when i was growing up never, nobody really worried whether you're irish italian or german
0: okay it's good everybody
1: just hung out together depending on who lived on your block and yeah. every block had you know tons of kids you know and sure. big families yeah yeah and uh you know if i think back
0: to my childhood you know growing up in the 60s um you know, I think everybody was the same in Ireland back then. Nobody, nobody had anything, you know, Mm -hmm. and as you say, everybody played out in the street with everybody else. Uh, but there were, there were happy times. What about Chicago growing up in the Irish community? Was it, was it a prosperous community or, you know,
1: I I would say it was lower middle class. I mean, I, we always had food on our table, uh, but we never really went on long vacations. Uh, We'd go back every other summer to New York, just my mother and my brothers and sisters to visit her parents and, you know, the rest of her family, but we never really traveled anywhere. I mean, we were probably poor, but we didn't know we were poor Yeah, yeah because, yeah. you know, it was just the everybody else in our neighborhood, you know, nobody really traveled far. My father was a milkman and I was the oldest of seven children. And of course, I helped out on the milk route when I was young, because the more customers you had, the more money you made. Okay. And uh, I remember when I was offered an athletic scholarship to DePaul University uh, in 1962, my father couldn't understand why I was going to college. He said, you know, you could be a milkman and you could, you know, have a great life. And of course, you know, there are almost no milkmen now. And yes, there was no, no. almost no milkmen by, you know, 1995 or so.
0: Correct. chair. And um, I suppose, again, going back to when I was growing up, you worked, you know, from the time, from when I was 14, I always had summer jobs or whatever. I presume it was something similar in Chicago when you were growing up? It
1: was. You couldn't couldn't work until you were 16. Okay. Which would have been after your second year of high school. And, um, but before then, I'd help my dad on the milk route. You know, we'd get up early and work on the milk route till it was time to go to school. And then on Saturdays. And um, one of the things that I remember doing is on Saturday afternoons, I would go around on my bike uh, collecting the milk money from his customers. And, you know, sometimes I'd be riding my bike. I'd have $100, $150 in my pocket. But never never even thought about anybody robbing
0: wow, you, Wow. Know, yeah. or
1: doing anything like that, which wouldn't be the way now.
0: And any problems collecting the money? Was, was everybody upfront and
1: paying. People were pretty good. I mean, people, you know, paid with cash in those days, no credit cards, very rarely used checks. But my dad was also uh, a kind person and he would still deliver milk even if they couldn't pay. Okay. And everybody knew what everybody was going through, you know, in the neighborhood. And I remember years later, a woman coming to our door um, and knocking on the door, and it was m- one of my dad's former customers, and she had $150 in cash to give to him. Said, I owed you this from a long time ago. You never pressed me to pay it. You told me don't worry about it. Well, now I have the money. And it, it was a debt maybe 20 years old.
0: Wow, that's fascinating. And she came and paid it. You know? Brilliant, brilliant, yeah. And uh go, you know, again in Chicago, St. Patrick's Day, I know um. Currently, you know, in New York, and I presume in Chicago, St. Patrick's Day would be a big deal. Down through the years and you growing up, was, was it a big, such a big deal it, back then? It was then?
1: always a big deal. Um, at St. Mel Grammar School, uh, we always had St. Patrick's Day off. Our Monsignor was Monsignor Purcell, and he would always, after 8.30 Mass, we went to Mass every day. After 8.30 Mass, uh, on St. Patrick's Day, he'd always tell all the kids to go home. And, of course, the nuns would try and stop and say, no, no, we got schooled. And, of course, we all just ran yeah. <laughs> and got off. And, uh, you know, we dyed the River Green here. The Chicago River goes through Chicago. And on St. Patrick's Day, they dye the River Green. Wow.
0: Never knew that. And that's
1: a big, big tradition here to watch it get dyed green, you know, on the morning. And it lasts for about two or three days. Wow. And of course, we have a big parade, probably not as big as New York, but it's a, a pretty big parade.
0: Yeah. And and, and a big... there,
1: there's actually about four parades in the Chicago area. The biggest one is in Chicago, but the South Side, the West Side and the North Side, you know, all have their own parades, too, on another day.
0: Excellent. And big turnout uh, on the streets, is there?
1: Yes. Yes. Big, big turnout. So back, I remember when I was in college, the parade went down State Street. And the Palmer House, which is one of the big hotels here in Chicago, owned by Hilton, used to sell beer for a nickel on St. Patrick's Day. And, of course, that would bring crowds. Yeah, <laughs> that yeah, alone yeah, would yeah. bring lots of crowds.
0: And uh, so I'm just curious, uh, you know, if somebody new arrives, somebody from Ireland arrives in Chicago now, is there is there any process of bringing them in, integrating them into the community, or do they have to go to the Irish community? Uh, is...
1: I would think that there are enough Irish organizations. There's two big heritage centers here, one on the north side and one on the south side. And I think anybody emigrating here or immigrating to Chicago from Ireland would know that ahead of time.
0: Sure. And they'd
1: be the two places that you would go, I would think, if you needed help, or you needed support. Um, but I think that almost everybody that comes to Chicago, no matter what their nationality, um, has somebody already here that they can count on.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then
1: of course, you know, for the very poor that come, there's Catholic charities. And, but I mean, once you come into America, you, know, you can travel around just like you can in Ireland. So I mean, yeah. you might come in from New York or you might come in from New Orleans or you might come in from LA. You know, you just get here. You fly yeah. here, drive here, get on the train, bus, whatever. And
0: I suspect, Patty, there, there'd there be uh, GA clubs in Chicago as well. There yeah. is.
1: And both of the, especially the Southside Irish Centre, has GA games, GA games going on all the time. Yeah. You know, all, all year long. And there are certain clubs even that will bring in Irish athletes to play on their club teams and get them jobs. And I've had cousins that have done that. Brilliant. You know where they've come and they've played rugby or soccer. Yeah. Um, mostly rugby or the hurling, though.
0: Yeah, yeah. That'd be
1: the two that they'd come here for.
0: Yeah, yeah. Very good. Uh, you mentioned earlier, Patty, that you got um, a scholarship, uh, an, an athletic or a sports uh, scholarship. Right. It was for
1: it? cross country and track and field. I was a runner in high school, and um, I remember the I was going to go to Minnesota when the uh, coach at DePaul came up to me after a big race and said, how would you like to come to DePaul? And he said, I'll give you a three-quarter scholarship. And I thought, well, gee, I'm going all the way up to Minnesota for a three-quarter scholarship when I could stay right here in Chicago. So I chose DePaul. And then when the season started in September and I was enrolled at DePaul, they had hired a new coach. And the first day of practice, I thought I had, you know, run pretty well. And he said, after you change, come up to my office and see me. And I went up uh, to Coach Amity's office and he said, do you think you had a good practice? And I said, yeah, I did. I did. I thought I did. And he said, well, I really can't have people on my team on a three-quarter scholarship. And the thoughts going through my mind, oh, my God, you know, I should have gone to Minnesota. (laughs) And he said, from today on, you're on a full scholarship.
0: Wow. And
1: so I ended up going to school free for four years.
0: Brilliant, brilliant.
1: And so it worked out very well. So
0: explain to me, Paddy, I I wouldn't be familiar with the scholarship. Do you have to specialize, your studies have to specialize in a certain degree or? or No, you just have
1: to, in order uh, to keep the scholarship, you have to have good grades, but you can choose any area you want. So I first thought when I first came uh, to DePaul, I thought I would go into becoming a lawyer. And then I, maybe after the first semester, maybe first year, I decided, well, I really didn't want to do that. And I thought, well, maybe I'll become an accountant. So I was taking business courses already. And then after my sophomore year, I decided I wanted to be a coach. But the only way to really be a coach and have a livelihood from it is to become a teacher. So then I went into business education. Very and business education was my bachelor's degree and my master's degree.
0: And so you always had in the back of your mind, you wanted to go into coaching, is it?
1: Yes, that's, I would say it from about my sophomore year in college onward. Yes. And is it coaching athletics that you focused on? Right. I was a cross country and track and field coach. Very good. And, and sorry, go ahead. No, I was good. I was very lucky. My, my last semester, just before the last semester, the track and field season started, I got a knee injury. And the doctor told me that I had to rest and not run for at least 12 weeks. And uh, when the coach heard that, he said, well, you know, our season will be almost over because it ended in May by the time you get in any kind of shape. And he said, I've heard that there is a coaching job and a teaching job open at DePaul Academy, which was the high school connected with the university. So he said, I'll call the principal over there and get you a job interview. So I went out and I bought a sport coat and bought new shoes and a tie and a shirt. And I went over there. Now, I, did, I didn't have a degree, but it was a Catholic school. And unlike the public schools, you could teach at a Catholic school without a college degree. So I went over there. And Father McIntyre was the principal. So he grilled me for an hour, at least an hour. And my pants were wet. My shirt was wet. You know, I was just sweating the whole time. And at the end of the interview, he said, okay, you got the job. Wow. You know, just completely relieved. And he said, do you know why you got the job? And I'm thinking to myself, another trick question here. (laughs) And I said, no, I don't. He says, well, you got the job because I went to high school with your dad. (laughs) So he was just leading me on the whole time. So I ended up, you know, teaching at DePaul Academy. Uh, For two and a half years and being the head coach and had some really good track and field and cross country teams there. Um, But like a lot of other schools starting in the in the 60s, this would have been 68, the school closed. And so I went up to another Catholic school at Evanston, which is the first suburb north of Chicago. And it only took me a year to close that school. (laughs) And then I decided, well, I better go to the public schools. And I went out to Niles West High School, which is in Skokie, Illinois. And I taught there from 69 to uh, 2005.
0: Wow. And so, Patty, you must have been uh, coaching and teaching at a very young age.
1: What would you have been, 23,
0: 24? I was 21
1: when I first started teaching. Wow. So I was only three. I was teaching seniors for the most part. I was only three years older than a lot of the kids in the class. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it was a a Catholic school. And, um, you know, discipline was great. And um, it worked very well. I mean, I had no problem. And I like to talk, so you know, that made it a lot easier too. And did you specialize in any particular subjects? Um, well, business, when I first went to DePaul, I was teaching business law and accounting and economics. And then when I went to St. George, I was the department chair. And again, I was teaching accounting and business law. And then when I went to Niles uh, West, I also started teaching typing, business management, again, economics, and probably taught almost every subject within the business department, except maybe shorthand. Very good. So you must have really enjoyed the position you, 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 you stayed so long. I did. And you know one of the things that I tell people, uh, I've always been a fairly healthy person, uh, but after teaching for 35, 36 years, I only took six, day, six sick days in that whole time. Wow, oh, very good. I mean, I should have taken more. I mean, I look back and I don't know why, you know, I went in sometimes. But, um, you know, I was healthy, but I enjoyed what I did. I liked it. I liked it very much, really. And I miss it. I, I don't miss being there every day. Yeah. Uh, but I miss the coaching and the teaching.
0: And uh, when you say you miss it, do is it seeing the kids develop... You know, their future lives is that is that part of the part of the um
1: you know that's a big part of it. And I especially now that with Facebook, you know, it's so easy to keep in touch with your former student athletes and yes. your former students. Yeah. And um it's a great, you know, it's Facebook has made everything so much easier to be able to keep in touch with people. And I still go to a lot of cross-country meets and at Niles West. Um, they even named their big cross country meet after me. Wow. And, um, That's... back in, in 1989, I got into the coaches hall of fame here in Illinois. And so one of the things they did at the school I taught is that once you get into a hall of fame, they name something after you. So they named the, this cross country meet after me. And it's actually one of the largest high school sponsored cross country meets in the United States. It has about 4,000 athletes running on a Saturday morning. and uh, Really, I have to go to the meet every year so that people don't think I'm dead. I'm always telling people it's not the savage memorial meet. You know? <laughs> and, and, you know, in terms
0: of successful students on the track, anybody
1: distinguished themselves? Well, I've had a lot of, I also taught at the community college. And I had a lot of good high school runners, um, including my son Danny, who ran for me his last year of high school. Um but I really had great success at the community college level and had I'd say I must have had maybe 25 national champions wow. and my nice. 2002 marathon team from Oakton Community College won the national championships. Brilliant! and um, so I've had a lot of good athletes but you know more than that, I've had a lot of good people run for me. a yeah. lot of good people have become my friends and um, You know, that I've enjoyed it. Yeah. You know, to see them grow and see them become successful.
0: Yeah. A friend, a mutual friend of ours uh, mentions that anytime he's with you, you, people are shouting across the road, hey, coach. So you're... Well,
1: it's, it's amazing how many people you meet. Even when I come to Ireland, I'll end up meeting somebody from, you know, as you go around, somebody here from Chicago. But I think that happens in Ireland because I do our family tree. And my idea of the family tree is I do like to go back, but I'd rather meet the cousins that are still alive there. Yeah. And, and I have a lot of second and third cousins. I mean, I probably know 2,000 cousins in Ireland alone. Wow. And tell me, um, so you've obviously been to
0: Ireland. You know, how many occasions have you been in Ireland?
1: I've probably been there 60 times. Um, I used to go every year, once a year, most years. And then um, when I retired completely in 2011, I started going four times a year, wow. not that not during COVID, but yeah, that and, and I have a cousin in swords, uh, a second cousin, his name was JC Savage, and he owned this big supermarket in there. And actually, at one point, I remember or maybe about 2012, something like that. It was the 73rd largest business in all of Ireland. And anyway, he's since passed away. He had nine children and most of his children had moved out of the house. So when I was looking, I was thinking maybe buying a place in Ireland. Mm. My cousin Geraldine Savage said to me, says, why would you want to buy a house when you can have a room here? Okay. So she gave us a room in her house. And when we go to Ireland, you know, if somebody called me up today and said, hey, get on a plane and come to Ireland, I could go right there because I have clothes there and everything you'd need. And you, Swords, you know, is right near the Dublin Airport.
0: Yeah, it's. I know Swords myself, and uh, I I remember it from, I suppose, the late seventies, eighties. But it's got it's got much bigger. But you had a, a great phrase there, a mantra about um, <laughs> about running through Swords. What was that again?
1: The the thing is, you can. My cousin, Joe Savage, is the first one I heard ever say it. And he said, you can walk through any town in Ireland, but you have to run through swords because it's full of savages. <laughs> and indeed. actually, anybody named Savage in, in swords is a cousin of mine. They're all related. They come down from Robert Savage, who came to Ireland in 1820, who had four children. And those four children begot lots and lots of children. And... Uh, Anybody with the name Savage right there is related.
0: Brilliant. And Paddy, is it generally swords you'd go
1: to or would you ever go down to fecal or? I I always start in swords, um, but I always make sure I go to fecal. And you know, on Thursday night in fecal, they at a pub called Shorts, they have the longest running music session. Right. that in all of our, it's been going on, I don't know how many years, uh, but it, I remember Lena Maloney used to own the place and um, she's since passed away. Um, it's owned by a, a guy named Short and that's the name of the pub, but we always make sure we go there on a Thursday night. And I have lots, many, many cousins in and around Fico. And uh, I remember in 2014, we were going to, I brought a group here to run. I bring groups of runners. I've been doing that since '92 to Ireland every so often, and in 2014, I brought a whole group to run in uh, John Cleary's uh, Limerick races.
0: The Great Limerick and, Run,
1: yeah. Right, right. Uh, the first weekend in May. So on that bank holiday on the first week Monday, I organized a Loch reunion in Fico. Did it most started in January with the help of some other friends, some other cousins. And we ended up getting, I think, 222 cousins show up in fecal on the first Monday in May of 2014. And like in any time you have a reunion, there's always people that know people that didn't know they were related to them. And so, you know, it was a a great all-day affair. It was really wonderful. And everybody did something. Um, Joe Lachnan, Noel Lachnan, uh, made sure the food was there. A uh, big Mike Lochnan from Loch Ray uh, brought his van that cooked hamburgers and hot dogs and steaks and everything else. And uh, my cousin, Billy Lochnan, whose place we had it at, uh, got the local pub to come over and set up a, a bar. And it was just a great uh, a venue. And uh, my great grandfather was uh, born in a place called Baroo Fecal which is down the road. And so the cousin Jim Lachman that owned that property fixed up the original house. And uh, so we were able to bring all these cousins to show them, here's where it all started. Right here in in FICO. And I know,
0: um, Patty, there's an annual
1: Savage Reunion picnic, I think, that started way back. It started in 1979. And I think in 19... 83 and 84, we had over 300 savage cousins at the reunion. And they were mostly just from my grandfather and his sister, but there'd always be other people that would come from other parts of the country and from Ireland or Wales or England. Um, Now it's it's less than 100 that show up. I don't organize it anymore. I help a little bit. Um, But back in the 70s and 80s, my father's first cousins, brothers and sisters, were all still alive. So they they always brought the children. And it's it's not necessarily the same. It's hard for people when they're third or fourth cousins, I think, to to go.
0: Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. There's also the Lochnan reunion in Fecal. And uh, there's also another one the, uh, we can discuss later on, Irish-born athletics coaches.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, there's there's a number of coaches that were born in Ireland that are now coaching in the United States. And actually, I can give you four of them. You know, there's Mick Byrne at the University of Wisconsin, who has been really, really successful. Uh, there's Gavin Kennedy, uh, who uh, worked for me for a while at DePaul University, and then uh, coached at Iona and a couple of other places, and then was an assistant to Mick Byrne. And just uh, a couple of years ago, became the head coach at Loyola University here in Chicago. And then there's uh, Marcus O'Sullivan at uh, Villanova, and Ray Flynn at Providence University.
0: Wow, we 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 would be very familiar with uh, with Marcus and Ray. Um, so they were pretty successful athletes in, in their own right uh, back in the day. Um,
1: mm-hmm. I mean, you know, there's so many great Irish athletes out there from, you know, like Neil Cusick and um, Sonia O'Sullivan. Sonia, yeah. And then my own cousin, uh, Olive Lachman, who was a four-time Irish Olympian. Um, But Marcus and Ray are really good. And, uh, you know, an interesting thing is that yesterday, December 1st, um, what would have been 66 years ago, was when um, Irish had their Olympic gold medal won by... Uh, Ronnie Delaney in the yeah. uh, 1500 in the Olympics in Melbourne. Yeah. And that occurred 66 years ago yesterday.
0: Wow. Yeah. We we were at the, the Munster match and we just happened to notice Eamonn Cockland there. He would have been the, uh, what you used to call him? The, the chairman the, of the boards. The chairman of the boards. Yeah. Indoor. Yeah, yeah Right.
1: He, he was fantastic. And he, you know, is a, a great runner. He's a good friend of mine. And um, he does a lot for Irish athletics. I mean, he's all over the place. And his son was a good runner also. And actually, I tried to get his son to come to DePaul, uh, but he didn't want to leave Ireland. Um, <laughs> but Eamon does an awful lot. You know, and he was in your, what your Senate is called, I always have a hard time pronouncing it. Uh, you know, he was in the Senate, the Irish Senate, the one yeah. that gets appointed. And uh, he's a great guy, just a really wonderful guy. And it was a great, great runner for Villanova and then, you know, for Ireland later yeah.
0: on. Yeah, he used to always have us on uh, out of the couch screaming at the television when he was running. It was great, great times. Yeah.
1: yeah, he was, you know, one of the best, one of the best.
0: So what does Coach Savage do in his spare time? It sounds like you don't have much spare time, Patty.
1: Well, I, I still work a little bit for DePaul in fundraising, and okay. I try to fundraise money for the track and field team at DePaul, and um, I have a, an endowed scholarship at DePaul, and uh, so I'm always trying to get former student runners and friends uh, to commit to that scholarship, which then provides a free education for a present-day student athlete at DePaul. Very good. Um, and I work on our family tree, um, but it's great being retired because it gives me time to to walk every day, and um, it's a great life. Fantastic! I'm 78 years old, and I've been re- fully retired now for 11 years, um, but I always find things to do.
0: Yeah, yeah, and of course you have the ocean beside you. When
1: um, when do you think you'll be in Ireland next? Um, I'm not sure. Um, But I'm thinking of bringing a group over in June, the middle of June, but I'm pretty sure I'm going to be coming before that. Uh, I just haven't bought a ticket yet. I have a voucher from, uh, you know, during COVID, I kept making reservations and then having to cancel them. And I've used a couple of my vouchers. I've used two vouchers already to go back this present year. I was there um, in April, on April 1st, for a wedding of a cousin of mine in the castle at Swords, which was really wonderful, Philomena Savage. And then I, uh, Ernie, brother of mine, I brought back, he brought me or I brought him to Ireland and his two daughters in July. So I was there twice this year.
0: Wow, wow, wow. Well, the next time you'll have to say hello uh, if you're anywhere near oh, yeah. Limerick.
1: I intend to get to Limerick. I got to get over there and see my buddy, uh, well, Neil Kusick lives there, and of course, John Cleary.
0: Chantilly, theory, yeah yeah okay Paddy um I think I think that's pretty much it and uh, I'd like to really thank you for the time and, and the effort that you put in in the last uh, couple of weeks I know we were emailing to and fro and you send me on documentation on on your history which I might put on our, our website if you're okay with that
1: sure sure not a problem not a problem
0: so, uh, can put
1: some of those Irish
0: stories in too. <laughs> they're very good. They're really yeah. good. Yeah. Okay. Coach, Paddy, Savage, I'd like to thank you. And uh, hopefully we'll be seeing you in the not too distant future.
1: I hope to meet you in person. And thanks very much. Thank you very much for this. Thank you now. Cheerio. Cheerio. Awesome.
0: Thanks everyone for listening to this week's episode of Irish by the grace of God. If you like it, please share it with your friends and family and check out our website, shows.acast.com forward slash Irish by the grace of God hyphen podcast. Here you'll find all our social media pages to make contact. If you know of any Irish people living abroad with an interesting tale, we'd love to hear from you. Thank you and tune in next week. Bye bye.